Super Talk Mississippi media production. Kickstart your adventure now with a new Gud Golf Cart from Country Carts of Brookhaven. Gud Golf Carts are assembled right here in Mississippi with the best features around. And best of all, they're street legal. Country Carts of Brookhaven, 401 Highway 51 South, phone 601-748-0454. I'm Steve Azar, and I'm on the other side of the microphone. Meaning I'm asking the questions this time, and oh, have mercy for the airwaves. I spent 20 years in Music City, wrote and made some hits, traveled the world, and then moved my family back to the birthplace of American music and where the magnolia trees prosper. And now every time I put my feet on Mississippi soil, when I'm off the road, well, I'm at peace. On this show, it's all about hearing the stories straight from the mouths of the friends I've made along the way, their journey to success. Heck, there might be someone on, I don't even know, but you know how us Mississippi types are. We tend to take well to new company. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them. I'm Steve Azar. It's just like that muddy river moving slow. Ain't no worries, it's how life goes. In a Mississippi My guest today has the same amount of Grammy Awards as golf clubs in his bag. I'm serious. And he is as <laughs> humble about his success in the music world as he is talented. A man whose voice you know the moment you hear his first syllable. And as an acoustic guitarist is known as one of the world's most acclaimed. Please welcome from Allison Krause Union Station and from himself now who has a new album out. Uh, my brother, Dan Tominski. Hello, Danny. Oh, uh, Steve Azar. How are you doing today, man? You're too much. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love giving my uh, my friends their intro, and they're like, come on, this is a side they don't know about me. So anyway, <laughs> it's, it's yeah, been that's fun. That's too much, man. Well, you're going to make my head big. What are you doing? <laughs> that's all right. You need a big head. You need one. Hey, uh, so uh, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You're in Nashville right now? Nashville, Tennessee today. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a nice day. We had a little rain. It's got uh, everything smelling nice and... Uh, you know, just just uh, another day in good old Nash Vegas. Danny, let's let's go back a little bit. Uh, talk about the beginning where you grew up. I know that you went went about your music journey uh, down gravel roads with potholes. You went the hard way. You you played live. You and Allison and and the group. Take us back before the Allison Krauss days. Back growing up. Uh, did you have some influences with your family members or your dad or brother or, you know, t- take me back to growing up? Okay, so I can, we can rewind. I mean, I can start by saying I, I came from um, a family that didn't necessarily play a lot of music themselves. My mother used to sing a little bit and she did know a couple chords on the guitar. So technically I did have a musician in the family, my mom. Right. She was the first one I remember singing and playing. Um, but Steve, I can tell you honestly, I knew what I was when I was probably six or seven years old. I knew I was a musician. I knew what I was going to do the rest of my life. I, uh, I mean, I was told what I was going to do. My parents recognized a little bit of talent in me as a young person, so I just literally have always played. I mean, I played music and, and picked on anything that I could that I could get in my hands as far back as my, from, you know, from as far back as my memory goes. So, like, I've always done it. Now, in the early years. We did it like everybody does it, man. We traveled up and down the roads in a van, and <laughs> uh, how, how do we put it? We were just we were just making bank. We were getting rich yeah. playing that bluegrass, you know, milking that uh, bluegrass music cash cow. <laughs> so, yeah, I never even considered that I had to make a living doing this stuff, you know, until I was an adult. I mean, it was it has always been 
my passion. I've, I've never been able to really think about anything else. I mean, for me, it's been music. And uh, I, I grew up playing, and first of all, with a band with my brother. I have an older brother, Stan, and we had a band called Green Mountain Bluegrass from when I was probably 13 years old or 14 mm-hmm. until I was 17 or 18. We just, we just loved to play. I mean, we were in the Northeast. I grew up in Vermont, and uh, we traveled up and down the East Coast anywhere we could, but mostly in New England, playing, playing bluegrass music. And the whole time growing up playing, I always wanted to play in a southern bluegrass band. Like, I wanted to play that, what, what people call that good authentic bluegrass, you know? Right. When I got an opportunity to join the Lonesome River Band in the, in the uh, late 80s, um, I, just, I just never looked back. I moved from Vermont to Virginia. Man, I there. I haven't spent too much time without a pick in my hand. How how old were you when you moved from Vermont to Virginia? I moved when I was twenty years old. The the band that I had with my brother, we we let it go after I got out of high school. Um, I worked, you know, I drove a Coca Cola truck for about a year, a little less than a year. Wow! And I think it took that year when I was delivering Coca Cola to really realize that if I wanted to make the music thing happen, no one was gonna, you know, was gonna throw it at me. I had to go and chase it, and um. And I moved to Virginia and just never looked back. So that was uh, sort of a breeding ground, or is a little bit more of a uh, acceptable bluegrass area? You know, to sort of continue to nurture that talent was that a better yeah, destination? You know, I found, I, what I found that growing up in, in New England, there was actually quite a lot of bluegrass music. I mean, there was if we were willing to drive a couple three hours, you know, there was something every weekend that we could go in here and play. So my earliest training grounds were really the bluegrass festivals of New England. Up in up in upstate New York and Maine and Massachusetts and New Hampshire, all those places had a bunch of bluegrass music that I really kind of honed my, you know, where I honed my craft in the early years. Then when I got to, you know, to to take the job with the Lonesome River Band, I switched instruments. I was a banjo player, you know, most of my life growing up. Then I started playing the mandolin with the Lonesome River Band, and that's when I really started. I I, I took it a lot more seriously. I mean, the first few years of the Lonesome River Band, I don't know if I ever set an instrument down. I mean, I was so First of all, I, I filled the shoes of Adam Steffi, or I was trying to fill the shoes of Adam Steffi, right. who was the man player in the Lonesome River Band, right before I joined. And he's one of my favorite musicians in the world. And when I listened to what I was having to walk in behind, it just it, I think it put extra pressure on me, and it made me you know, uh, find an extra gear of, of commitment and practice to say, holy cow, you know, I, this guy's so great, I can't, step in, you know, I can't step in and be anything less. Now, I can't say I ever did fill his shoes, but I came up with my own type of style that... Right. allowed me to you know to do what i do and um that was you know my early training ground we're gonna we're gonna say all the bluegrass festivals from maybe 1988 until really 95 that was when i just could not get enough we're talking to dan Tominsky, incredible incredible recording artist with allison Krauss union stations made his own records got a new record out right now the smoking uh also uh the voice behind man of constant sorrow or the oh brother where art thou and then obviously the abici uh the late great Avicii, who uh, worked with you on the song Oh Brother, that's your voice. I mean, so before I start talking about your voice, because I'm such a fan of it, okay, bluegrass to me, there's such a preciseness to it. It's aggressive, it's tender, but yet just some edge around it. I don't know even know how to explain it, but as a listener, I'm watching you guys play, and I'm in awe at your accuracy, you know what I mean? But yet there's soul. You know, in the world that I grew up in, everything was greasier and looser and way on the back, and it was just not as, I don't know, I mean, the blues versus bluegrass, you know the difference, Dan. You, you've, you've experienced both sides of the fence, and you've, you've seen it all. Take me back to understanding 
the process of becoming a world-class picker in the bluegrass and, and especially known in the bluegrass world which to me says it all as far as a acoustic guitar player what i have to realize first is that in you know when comparing bluegrass music to another to any other type of music really um i i consider bluegrass music to be really vulnerable in how it's played together i i think that um it's more critical to have the parts work together precisely in bluegrass music than it is in other musics and that there's really no there's there's nothing to cover up anything like when when you talk about like like the music of the delta and, and that stuff like that that greasy swampy like that's some of my favorite stuff in the world like i just absolutely love it but when you're playing bluegrass music there's really no room to lay that far back like if you tried to if you tried to take that attitude to a to a bluegrass band it would be really difficult to Beyond, so I, I kind of just I describe it as it's a little more vulnerable music, and that anything that's out of time or off, you know, any any anything that's a little off from the rest of the guys, it's really exposed. It's right. a more exposed music. You really do hear every little thing individually. I mean, we're talking most bands four instruments without any drums, without anything, you know, without any electricity in most cases. And very pure, correct? It's very pure. It is. It's a very pure form of music, and I think when everything is that exposed and when you can hear every little nuance, it requires a little more precision, you know, within the band. You know, everyone has to work together maybe a little better, I think, or it starts really sounding loose. So I think one of the things I look for in bluegrass music, you know, as learning how to be a picker, is to find that precise timing. For me... I never worried as much about licks or what I played as much as how I was playing it. I didn't have an, an amazingly large arsenal of licks. You know, I had a few things that I concentrated on that were kind of my my foundation. Right. I stayed for most of my career very close to that with an emphasis on timing and tone. That, those were my two big, you know, those are my, the, you know, the two big T's. If I had, if my timing was good and I felt like my tone was good, from that point, all you have to do is react to the other players. I mean, if, you, if, you, if you're a true musician and you listen while you play, you don't have to think about what to play when someone, when you hear something, you just simply react to it. For me, it's, it's been really, it's been, an, I, I want to say easy, because I've loved it so much, I've never looked at it as work, but a lot goes into, I mean, you know, it's, uh, I don't know anyone who's, who's kind of jumped over those hurdles without putting their 10,000 hours in. I mean, it, it takes time and, and patience and more than anything, just a, a commitment, you know, and if you love the music, like, you know, the musicians I know, like I know you do, when you love the music in this way, you, you don't even think about it. You just hone in on what you love and try and to work spread hard. that love. You and I have played music with so many great artists and, and musicians, and the one thing that they all have is they didn't just show up and like, oh, look how great I am. Man, it took forever to get there, right? And they're hum- and they're and there's a humbleness about it with the great ones. There's not there the attitudes are sort of pushed aside because they knew how hard it was to get there, and there's an appreciation for it. You know, I give you a compliment. You turn red before you before you turn green. You know, uh, so you're all about the love affair of of what you're doing. And I love the fact that you don't know how great you are, which is what makes you. I'm Steve Azar. You're in the Mississippi Minute. We're with the great Dan Tominski. Incredible. We'll be right back. Sweeping 
across the country. JT and Rhino. They don't tiptoe around anything. They're not afraid to just tell you like it is, and they have opinions that are strong. The JT Show. And you have to respect them for that. Weekdays at 10, Super Talk, Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. You're the lucky one, so I've been told. It's free as the wind blowing down the road. I'm Steve Azar. We are with Dan Tominski, one of the greatest guitar players on the planet. Uh, just uh, at what he does with an acoustic guitar, um, I don't know if there's anybody any better. Uh, so we're, we're uh, blessed to have you on the phone, Danny. All right, Dan, let's get to um, the beginning of Allison Krauss in Union Station. Uh, how did it all go down? When did you meet Allison and the guys? Uh, when did it all start? I can remember the first time I, I ever saw Allison Krauss. For me, it was, it was 1985 at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville, Tennessee. And I remember walking into a big bluegrass band contest that our band, uh, Green Mountain Bluegrass, we had entered in 1985. And I remembered walking through the doors, the first thing I saw was an enormous crowd of people all standing around, one little fiddler. I think she was 14 years old at the time, maybe 14 or 15. And I just remember, you know, a couple hundred people just amazed at the talent of this young girl. And I remember thinking, you know, holy cow, who is that? And then, of course, we saw their band, you know, play after, which they placed much higher than we did, if I remember right. <laughs> and I never saw him again until after, I never saw her again until after I joined the Lonesome River Band. I was with the Lonesome River Band for a couple of years, and we had made a record called Looking for Yourself. Um, Allison and the guys had heard the record, Looking for Yourself, and they'd actually busted on me for a long time about a couple of the songs I sang on it because I had the, just the, whatever my little signature moves are. Oh, yeah. they, they found it funny, and they were they were picking on me. But um, they, you know, at at the time when I first started hanging around the Allison and the band, I used to pick with them a lot. We I would travel with them, and we I would go on trips with them. I would always get up on stage and guest for a couple of songs, and it was just amazing. Like I always wanted to be the banjo player for Allison Krauss in Union Station. <laughs> wow! So now, skip ahead a couple a couple years. Um, I'm at Merle Fest, the Merle, uh, Merle Fest in North Carolina, and uh, I was and Allison approached me and said, "Hey, I just heard uh, Tim Stafford is putting his notice. Are you ready to play guitar in this band?" And I, all I could think of was, "I am not a guitar player. I don't own a guitar." Come on! But I said yes, one hundred percent, absolutely yes. The guitar was the last instrument I took up. I mean, are you serious? Um, this... No, I start. I mean, I, I, I. I mean, I can't say I started playing guitar, okay, when I was with Allison, because, I mean, I, I grew up playing a little bit of everything. I could play a little mandolin and a little guitar, and I played band. I was a banjo player for most of those years growing up, but the guitar was by far the last thing, you know, on my mind, and I had never, I never had a guitar of my own to ever play. Anything I knew was from grabbing someone else's, learn a couple chords, give it back. Come um, on. So when, I, so when I got the offer to, to join Allison, this is where I found another gear. I found myself in a situation with what I considered, and I still consider the best of the best of the people in this music. I found myself standing in the middle of them with with, with zero hours in the instrument. Like I just had, so for the first, I mean, no kidding, for the first six months um, with Allison, I literally never stopped playing. I mean, I, I, it's the hardest I've worked on my craft, you know, in, in my lifetime in that first six months, trying to play catch up, you know, with, I mean, I, I feel, you know, again, for that band, I was, I was playing with, uh, I was replacing Tim Stafford, one of the premier acoustic guitar players, 
so just a unique style. He's an amazing talent. When I had to fill those shoes, you know, when I walked in, you know, to, to Tim's job, you know, what I've told everybody forever is the blessing that I've had in my career is that I've always been around a group of people that were better than me. They always made me want to, to be better. Like, I always felt like I had to catch up. I never felt like, like, uh, I, I never had to wait on anyone else. I was, I always felt, for me, I always felt like I was the one that needed to step it up. Okay, so let's, 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 the best place you could be. Okay, and, and and I love it because that's what makes you. So let me talk about this. So not only are you a, not a guitar player yet, but in this short period of time, how many people get Martin? Okay, Martin guitars for my listeners, people that are play guitar, they know about Martin. As far as a, a as a pure guitar acoustic guitar player, there's just not many uh, guitars that are better. When I toured Bob Seger for that year. Uh, in 06 and 07 he had all he had was a stack of martins now i have you know i'm go for taylor to gibson I'm, I'm a big gibson guy the jumbos and all that but uh because my band is loud and i need something to break through all that uh it's a different different scenario <laughs> but you you're a martin guy not only that you had your own custom guitar made by martin to appeal to flat pickers right uh it's your so uh, i guess what i'm trying to say is how on earth are you not practicing at six years old at this instrument and you get your own guitar? And when, what was that like to hear from Martin? <laughs> well, that Martin? Was, I, I will say at the time when I was offered to, to have an artist model, first of all, I couldn't believe it. I mean, what we have to remember is the type of music I grew up in. And I mean, w whether I was playing guitar or not, there was always a Martin guitar in the band I was in. Right. So, so I, I, I still consider myself, even though I started playing guitar a little bit later in life, I'm still a lifer. I mean, there's only, for me, in bluegrass music, I consider there's just, there's really only one. And I really found, like, so when I joined Allison, I found a guitar, a 1946 D28 Herringbone, that has been my signature instrument, and, and pretty much the only instrument I've played for my whole career. Having the type of profile we had with Allison in Union Station, and the type of visibility, I think it was it was just it was a I'm going to say a great choice for Martin to pick me to uh, to design a guitar and what I tried to do with this guitar was make a guitar that would stand up to a microphone. I mean every guitar is built for different instruments like this is this is a guitar that that's just in, in my opinion the type of instrument you need to walk up to just your your basic bluegrass situation. It's got good high mid you know it's a I I, I was able to influence the design enough to make it you know have to sound like you wanted right like. so what were some of the key things that you were looking for you talk about sort of this getting a cut something that would cut uh did you know a lot of it is in the bracing pattern if you have forward bracing in some of the old martins 37s 38s and 9s the forward bracing gives in a tremendous low-end bass beautiful like almost that. like a piano just a gorgeous sound but that's not necessarily the sound that reacts the best to a microphone in a stage setting in a studio setting fantastic on stage a lot of the bluegrass guys you know will lean towards d18s or mahogany guitars or back racing guitars that have a little more high end that are and a you're doing the d28 right i'm doing the d28 but i have a d28 that is back braced so it has a little more a little more high end a little more sizzle and it's a and it's just a gorgeous wood combination of indian rosewood and and um engelman spruce top 
which is just the formula for, in my opinion, the formula for greatness in Martin Guitars. Okay, so when you're playing live, though, aren't you plugging up, too? Or do we wait? How, how are you able to stand in front of a microphone? Is that still what you guys are doing, or are you doing when both? We play, when we play with Allison Krauss and Union Station, I play with a microphone and a microphone only. Um, I have always found that, for me, I like the dynamic I'm able to, to, you know, to, to be more dynamic with a microphone, to move in and out of the microphone rather than have just a one volume of, of a pickup. Now, when I play with a band that I'm, you know, currently playing, you know, this new music with, I play with a pickup, I play loud, you know, it's a, it's a whole different thing. I still play a Martin, but, uh, but we, we're, we're electric, so it's a, it's a quite, quite a different sound. But um, all my years at Union Station, um, microphone. What's the first Grammy? What year was it? Can you oh, think gosh. that far back? I know this is going to be confusing I, for you. <laughs> no, I can't think that far back. I really, I really don't. I mean, I, you know, it's been a weird thing. The the whole, I mean, with with Allison and Union Station, and then with some side projects and other stuff. Right. I mean, we've been really blessed um, to to have a lot of, you know, so to have a lot of different awards. You know, Grammy, CMAs, Bluegrass. You know, the IBMA awards, the stuff like that. That's that's beautiful stuff. But I, it's zero part of my focus. I could, I honestly couldn't tell you. I want to say. That it it was for our the first maybe baby now that I found you. I'm guessing, Steve. I'm I'm having to guess. This is I've, I've been doing it too long. Well, so um, I know I know you have early nineties. You have fourteen now. You have a solo. You have how many? So you have your solo one for Oh Brother Art Thou Man of Constant Sorrow, correct? Yeah, we have some Man of Constant Sorrow stuff. We have some collaborative things that we've done with other people. I mean, we have Grammys that we share with Vince Gill. It's kind of spread out. <laughs> yeah. But it's, you know, I, I guess it's just, it's a sign of just an interesting career. I mean, I've, I've been so fortunate to play with this band, first of all, and to have a stunning, and I mean, there's no equal to Allison and what, what her talent is. I mean, she stands alone on a planet where <laughs> there's, yeah. I mean, I just don't know how to describe the level of talent that she has over and above to her singing. I mean, her singing is obvious, but musically, how she thinks about music, everything, I mean, she has the most Grammys of any female on the planet because she simply deserves it. She really is is so unique and special that, um, you know, a lot of what has happened to me, no kidding, has been because I have found myself standing around so many other great musicians. Well, they're not, th- not, that's how not she feels about you. I mean, otherwise she doesn't, you know, she, she, you weren't a charity case. She knew how great you were. And so I think that you completed that puzzle. Uh, and also, just how close you guys all are. It just seems like you're all, you're all such buddies. Uh, that that place. We did. We had a chemistry right from the beginning that I will say uh, was was better than other situations I have witnessed and been in. You know, in the past, when you have that much appreciation for the people as people outside of the right. music, when you love the people as people, it just makes music so much better and so much more fun. So we were we were very fortunate to have that. Okay, you get to play DJ into this break. Uh, Mississippi is the birthplace of American music, and we shouted that out as loud as we possibly can, because we have to be loud here in Mississippi. It's part of the deal. We take our sweet time, and a Mississippi minute takes 60 of them for us to get out, you know, sort of, you know, we're just quarter at that pace. But uh, you get to play DJ. Tell me you would like to hear a little John Hurt or Conway Twitty. Oh, please give me some Conway. I love Conway. All right, you heard it. The man Dan Tominski. We're going to be right back. You're in a Mississippi Minute. I'm Steve Azar. Got to go now. Got to try to find a way to lose his memory of a love so warm and true. And if you should ever find it in your heart to forgive me. 
No other news team covers the Magnolia State like News Mississippi. On air with reports every hour and breaking news as it happens. News Mississippi at newsms.fm. The official news provider for Super Talk Mississippi. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. In constant sorrow all through his day. I'm Steve Azar. We're on the downside, the cool side. That means we just get to just kind of flow with it and just take it downhill. Uh, sliding on in. Sliding on in with Dan Tominski. <laughs> You're in a Mississippi Minute, like I said. Uh, Dan, let's talk about real quick the camaraderie of your world. Uh, you talked about you would get on the bus and ride with Allison Krauss and then Union Station without you. And you were you would just go out with them and just jam. Do you feel like your side of the business, your style of music was more acceptable, uh, that the camaraderie was camaraderie was stronger, that allowed you obviously to to hang, become friends. A lot of times in life we've seen relationships develop and then work comes with it. Sure. I think a lot of what what helped us with with how we got along outside of the music is that all our influences I mean, you know, we so Allison and Union Station we come from Illinois, California, Tennessee, Vermont, and uh, and Ohio. But we all cut our teeth on the same record, double o, uh, the 0044, the rounder record, the J.D. Crow in the New South. We literally all had the same favorite record, the same record that made us all want to play music together. So I think mm. when you have that common bond, you know, when you have a bond that's so strong, like in bluegrass music, it's community. I mean, it's it's like it's it's like a fraternity. It's your, they're your brothers. I mean, when you know people have grown up in bluegrass, it's not a wide. It's not so widely accepted that it's really cool, you know. So when you find your other bluegrass buddies, you know, there's there's their family. I love that. So we had that at the start, but I think we had it because we all really loved. We, it's when we found out that our all of our favorite record was the J.D. Crow record, which in a kind of a weird, in, in a weird way now Jerry, who Jerry Douglas, who plays in our band now. Well, he was on that record. So it's just the strangest tie we, that we all have the tie to that record. I mean, you know, four of us, it was our favorite record, and the other one, he was on it. Okay, so, all right, unbelievable. So I get that. I, I sense that, uh, like in no other genre, I really do. Now, the blues is a lot like that in in regard to people wanting to get up and jam together. But when you're getting on a bus together and you're traveling together, I think it takes it to a no, new level. And like you said, the word community. I think that best best uh, fits the definition of your world. All right, so let's let's jump back a little bit. Let's go back to Man of Constant Sorrow. Everybody, you and I both know that everybody wants to be a soggy bottom boy. Every time they, and every time your mouth opens up with the first words, everybody lights up. I love watching the crowd, and their eyes light up. What a gift! This song it is a phenomenon was. that I'm still trying to understand. It really is. Steve, I mean, we're working up close to 20 years of this of this song. I mean, it came right. out, I think, in 2000. Yeah. So 18, 19, going on 19 years. Just when that, still, after, after all this time, it's the most amazing feeling in the world to start a song. And then, like you said, there'll be, you know, half the people listen, half of them are talking. That song, all of a sudden, you look out and there's just a sea of cell phones. Everybody wants to, wants to be a part of that movie and that and that song in some way like it struck a chord 
trust me, buddy, if I knew how to if I knew how to bottle that, man, I'd I'd have a couple cases of it. Yeah, know, I know. Well, it wouldn't be any fun if we knew how to bottle it because we get we <laughs> we we would we wouldn't know the difference, and all of a sudden we get used to that, and then we'd have to have something else. So, and no, and that something else may kill us. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's amazing. You know, when you're blessed with a song like that, you have something like that. I mean, I'm playing a bunch of new music right now with an electric band and drums, and it's and it's thick and it's heavy and it's kind of almost you know geared towards stadium sound no matter what type of music you play no matter what i'm out there doing i have to be aware that i own you know some some you know a lot there's a lot of people out there man it's their favorite song and when you are when you are so fortunate when you are so fortunate to have that it's like at first i said you know i don't know if i'm gonna play it you know with the new band because it'd be so different dude I don't think the rest of my life I can take stage and not play that song when it's been that good to me. And, and you see people respond. I mean, that's that's what a what a joy. I mean, that's, well, that, it truly is. It's a joy to see people light up when when they hear something they like. Well, my 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 situation is a little different. Although, believe it or not, we're talking about two records. My first hit, which has been my biggest, is "I Don't Have to Be Me Till Monday." So. I'm closing in. We're closing. We hear it's like 3.7 million regular performances. That's a lot since 2000. You and I, I remember being in the car because the record was on our sister label, Lost Highway. And right. I remember hearing all of the business stuff that was going on with it. While I don't have to be me to me till Monday was fighting its way. Our songs in the movie came out around 9-11. We both came out about that time. We both experienced all of that. Uh, with did our records matter obviously your movie was so important for people to get away for a second from such a tragedy and um and focus on the smile that the cohen brothers are so good at doing you know in their own quirky way they're so brilliant at what they do uh and then all of a sudden you've got george clooney who's imitating you which is such a great compliment by the way (laughs) you know i mean it's so cool so We both had songs at the same time. I guess my point is this. I'm, I did this new Kingsmen record and uh, with Steve Azar and the Kingsmen. And, and, Which is great, by well, the way. Well, I love you. I love you. I appreciate that. And the bottom line is I have to play I Don't Have to Be. I realized last week, it was just last week, that I got to play I Don't Have to Be Me Till Monday and Waiting on Joe with them. I, I just have to do it in sunshine. So I've got to work it in because especially Monday – People just know it, and they don't even know it's me sometimes, but that's all right. I mean, I see people light up and go and want to sing it, and they realize, well, that's the guy. <laughs> so anyway, I've been such a mutt in the whole country music thing that I feel like I came in the, like a thief in the night and just stole some people's stuff, you know, <laughs> and and did, oh, it, did it from a garage and on our own terms and had a great producer named Ray Van Hoy, just incredible, uh, just really taught me how to make my own records and just really helped get me really focused on who i am so you nailed it with that right there when you just said i kept me focused on who i am when people hear those songs that they know you for that's their connection to you so right. I, I love you that you honor the the, the stuff that that people know because i'm in the same boat people don't necessarily know i'm the one who did that song until in, until you sing it and then they go wow it made a difference that you know so I, I love that you do that. I think I think you have to do that. Isn't that you have funny? songs that have been good to you. You have to honor them. Well, with me, they should have known. With you, they had George Clooney they were looking at. And it's so funny that I remember seeing somebody go, they said, George Clooney sings that song. I mean, they were ready to argue. And I was going like, that person's had too much to drink tonight to argue. I'm not going to argue <laughs> with the person. And I felt like I could win a lot of money that night. But uh, But they were adamant that 
that George Clooney actually sang that. So that's pretty pretty crazy. We're actually talking to Dan Tominsky, the man behind uh, Man of Constant Sorrow. Hey, let's talk a little bit about the since Avicii passed and um, and your thoughts on that. Obviously, working with him and him finding and wanting your voice for the song "Hey Brother," which was a big pop hit. Um, you know, obviously uh, the tragic news of him passing. You know. What I can say about uh, Avicii, or Tim Bergling, is his actual name. Right. Um, you know, I, I hadn't met him. I had no idea who, who he was, I have to be honest, or what the music was. You know, he, he, he lived in the world of electronic dance music. You know, he, he did the EDM thing, which was so far away from what I did, I wasn't real familiar with him. So when I got the, the, the call to, you know, from, from his camp to, to maybe sing this song, I remember getting the call and my assistant saying, hey, we have this song, EDM song. I said, what is EDM? You know, and once I figured out it was, you know, like, I thought, wow, let's, I remember my, I remember what I said. I said, let's say thank you, but no thanks. <laughs> because it just didn't make sense. So my assistant, being as great as she is, Shelly, God bless her, she said, uh, do you want to hear the song before we give an official no thank you? And I said, well, sure, send it over. So as she's sending me the song, I'm curious about this Avicii guy, so I text my daughter, and who listens to all kinds of music. I said, you know, daughter, have you ever heard of this this guy Avicii? And she texted right back, Swedish DJ, yeah, why? <laughs> and I said he wants me to sing a song on his record. She he texted me back one word. <laughs> it was bull. Uh, yeah. <laughs> she, she couldn't like she 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 called me out. She was like, no, that's crap. No way. Yeah, and uh, I started to respond, and my phone rang, and it was her, and she went out like she said, "Dad, do you know who this is? Like he is the most brilliant, like he's a genius, my favorite right. artist, like he's just killing, it. like he's amazing. What does he want with you?" I love it. And I, uh, the like, confidence of a daughter. <laughs> so as she's saying all this, I hear my phone buzz, and I know that I just received the the song. So I listen to it, and now here's the deal: the song just sold itself. I didn't have to know a BT or his type of music or anything. I just I love dumb. I have some maintenance guys coming into the apartment. That's all right. We love that. This is what we love in, Miss, in a Mississippi minute. Let's talk to him. In a Mississippi minute, you're going to come in and do your thing. I'm on the phone. Go do what you got to do. And I'm back. So anyway. I love it. I get the opportunity. You know, let's just try it. Whatever happens, happens. I like the song. When I heard, now when I sang this song, just so, that, just so everyone knows, when I did this song, I sang that song to a quick track. If anyone knows what that is, it's just, it's, it's no music. It's just... You know. Oh wow! So okay, that's it. That's all you sang it to. There was literally there was literally no music. I had I only you could sing like, in pitch like that. Only you. Well, I strung. No, I strung. I hit the. You know, I strung a note on the guitar so yeah. I could hear what the key was. Right. It's a cappella, basically. I so I basically so I sent him literally a vocal track. Now, when I heard that song come back, what he had done with it. What it turned into, I was so blown away that here's what I'll say about Avicii, and this is this 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 is what I would like people to understand. Through his talent, he gave me courage to explore my own talent in a way I never would have without it. He stretched the boundaries for me. He made me think outside of the box. I, I couldn't thank him enough. And we're going to talk about what's come out of all this, and and you continuing to grow as an artist and give credit where it's due. I'm Steve Azar. You're in a Mississippi Minute. We're with the great Dan Tomiski. We'll be right back.
It's easier than ever to hear Super Talk anywhere. Now you can get Super Talk Mississippi on Amazon Alexa devices. Just go to supertalk.fm slash Alexa to find out more. For news, politics, sports, and the good things happening in Mississippi, the conversation starts here. In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, brother, there's an endless road to rediscover. Hey, sister. All right, baby, I'm Steve Azar. I'm on the complete flip side of a Mississippi Minute. I love this part of the show because my guests love it more because they can say bye to me. I'm with Dan Tominski, 14-time <laughs> Grammy winner, multiple awards, CMAs, you name it. I don't even have to get into it. He keeps the foam from his awards as studio tile uh, in his place. He doesn't even know where the trophies are. So that's that's what kind of guy this is, a very humble, incredible uh, talent. Uh, I'm in awe every time I'm around him, uh, not only as a musician but as a human being. Dan, let's talk about... You, what you just talked about, Avicii, the, the, he sort of pushed you in knowing that you could take it to another place. Once again, I'm going to say this. Your voice is one of those voices that can be uh, at a funeral or a wedding. It can be uh, in, in, in a heavy metal band. It can be in a bluegrass band. It can be everything in between. I can't even explain to you as a listener, okay, as a listener, you have got this voice that fits it all. And says it all. And my reasons is it, that it works in all types um, of genres is because it's honest. And that's it, man. It sounds like itself. I'm giving your voice its own thing, by the way. Give me a second here. Well, you're, and, you're awfully sweet, man. Well, you're, you're very kind. You know, I never thought about any any other type of music than, than bluegrass. You know, really, my whole life, that's just what I loved. I never pined to sing rock and roll or to be a, a country star to do any of the other stuff. So it's been kind of a little bit of self-discovery. This is what shocked me about Hey Brother, was when I heard it back, it didn't sound like my voice was, was manufactured. Like it didn't sound like it sounded like it belonged there. That was, yeah. honestly, I, I swear to you, this is a shock to me. That's why I'm so good at what I do. That, I'm a good, I've just explained that. I feel good about myself right now. Anyway, well, okay. No. So, <laughs> listen, okay, so this is where it leads us to. You have a record out on my old record label, Mercury. And you're working with a lot of my old friends and pals who used to be in the car together fighting for a hit. And I remember you telling me why you were doing this record, but the record's called Southern Gothic. Well, this is the first time I've ever, like, I've spent a lifetime feeling like I've always, like, I've always had something to play. Like, there's always been, you know, I've, that, that's been my role. This is the first time in my life I've ever really taken and, and spent my time writing music and creating music. And I got to say, for the first time, you know, in, in my music career, I feel like instead of having something to play, I have something to say. I love this it. record, as sonic as it is, and I think it, you know, sonically, it's. I think it's magical. I think Jesse Frazier, who produced it, did an amazing job. But I think the lyrics, when you, when you, if you, you know, if you have any time to sit down and actually listen to what this record has to say, I think it. it I think it exposes a lot of things that can be difficult to talk about in music. I mean, I, I, I to the best degree I can, try to hold up a mirror to society. And without judging and saying anybody's doing anything right or wrong, that's that's not what I'm about. I'm saying, look, there's a lot of stuff out here that we ignore. Let's look at it. You know, I didn't realize even even how my mind worked until I started writing this record. And I didn't know I was writing a record until we were probably eight songs into it. And then we realized, holy cow, we just, you know, we got an offer to, you know, to use all that stuff and come up with a couple more for a record. And what a thrill. I mean, I have been 
as proud as anyone can be of the music that I've played in my life and the people I've played with, with Allison, the Lonesome River Band, the, you know, all the people I've, you know, been around playing. I have never been so emotionally tied to a record as I am Southern Gothic. Well, like you how, said, you've got something to for say. For how songs were born. Right. I mean, yeah, it's, it's a different born, thing. Honestly. You've been letting your fingers do the walking, and now your voice gets to do the talking. And, uh, and you know, I get it's funny. it. I've always, yeah, I've always wanted to play. It's not been, you know, singing was something that I did because it, was, it always complimented the other thing. I, mean, I didn't really ever want to be in the spotlight or, or stand in the center. But when I, when I realized the type of opportunity we had and what this record could mean, it was a small sacrifice, I mean, to, to honor the music that I'm so proud of. Okay, so are you going to tour this summer? Uh, what's the plan? Uh, we are touring. We have we have started to do a little bit of touring so far. We we have a tour with Brad Paisley this summer. We're going to go out with Brad. That's and, great. Uh, I've never wanted to take music to to audiences this much, you know. And I'm about that, to tell you what I, you're about I, to go I, through I, with Brad Paisley, so you'll know. So I toured with him back in the day. So once he brought he that was back when the Wait Known Joe video had come out, and he kept wanting to come on the bus. He goes, I want to see the video again. And I'm thinking he's being so complimentary, and it's all good, and he's what a good guy. Well, the bus starts to smell. He put decoy fish, live fish, in bags, in bunks, and in places. But what he also did, he took it to the next level. You know, the freshen up, freshen stick up, the stick up things that you put, that have the smell good in them. He had put the yeah. fish in those. And so it took us days to figure out where it was coming from. It was my brother that finally figured out uh, it was <laughs> that he had put it in there. Two, he used to cut my cable when I'd play live. We were on the CMT tour. And then all they said about me was Steve Azar's mic didn't even work. And so, and then, then we get and we play in somewhere. I think we were in Bakersfield or somewhere. We pull up where it's wire and fire. And he has super glued our locks. So we had to get them cut off in time to barely make the show and of course he's all i would never do that i'd never do that well he did it every time so you gotta (laughs) my point is this brad paisley you're gonna have to watch out because he's i'm gonna keep my guard up yeah and be ready (laughs) be ready to be ready to uh retaliate you're gonna have to do it we're i'm so excited about your new record obviously people can get it everywhere they stream or buy i really appreciate you taking the time oh steve i look i appreciate you and and everything you're doing um your, your golf tournaments, the music you play, the last record you just did. You're an amazing man, my friend. I appreciate your time. Uh, I love you, brother. Well, listen, good luck on everything. Break 52 legs. And uh, we've been with Dan Tominski, one of the greatest. You're in a Mississippi Minute, and now you're not. Later on. I'm Steve Azar. In a Mississippi Minute, all 60 of them, where you can take your sweet time. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.